0: Howdy. Hi to everyone here. Thanks for coming. It's wonderful to see you. Hi to everyone online. I don't know if y'all were here last week. Uh, I happened to be sitting in back, so I got to see a little side sermon going on while Dan was preaching. And it was hilarious. We had some guests. We had uh, Logan and his wife Kayla and their little girl Jubilee. (laughs) And they were sitting over there where Eric and Donna are sitting. And during the whole service, Jubilee, who's like this, would manage to wriggle under the chairs or slip around the ankles or somehow get away from her folks and go trotting off down to see people. And Logan would have to get up and go get her and bring her back. And she said they'd start worshiping and the way she goes. And he'd get up, go get her and bring her back. They'd take her outside and, you know, play with her a little bit and bring her back and then and go get her and bring her back. And it was hilarious because the last time she took off and as Logan was walking towards her to get her and bring her back, she happened to turn around and see him coming and she was like, Dee! and she came tearing towards him. And I tell you, that little sermon brought tears to my eyes. I want to be like that little girl. I really do. Because... Uh, <laughs> I've I've been like some other little girls that I've met. Uh, there's a little girl right now in my life um, who is, is she's just about the same age, and she's at the stage where her job is to see everything and try everything and break everything and touch everything and put everything in her mouth and really, 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 really push the limits. I mean, she is convinced that that is her job, and all you have to do is say, "Come here, sweetie." you know and then you turn your back and there she is you know but it's you know leave the kitty alone you know and the cats are terrified of her it's just it's not a character flaw it's her job right now she is just against whatever you've got planned she loves people but she's just doesn't like boundaries at all right now she reminds me of me all too often and another little, I'll pick on the other sex now, another little boy that I know about so big, in Ohio, his mom had stationed him out in the living room to play with his blocks or something, and she was in the kitchen cooking, and after a while, she kind of noticed that it was awfully quiet out there. So she called out, Michael, are you being good? No! I need you to come to make me stop i have never raised anybody i'm the youngest in my family i've never even babysat i've never changed a diaper and deborah is hears this and she laughs and goes you just wait man (laughs) because the (laughs) ministry that i'm in now i'm going to wind up being the diaper queen i think but i would be kind of afraid to try to raise somebody because i'd be afraid that i would raise them with my baggage because we do You know, we all do. You've got your parents' baggage and they can't be blamed because they had parents too. And, you know, I mean, there's baggage that gets passed down generation to generation. And we get it and we deal with it and we try to find God around it. Eric sent me a uh, survey last week that I found really interesting. George Barna, who makes his living doing surveys, did a survey of Christian parents and he found that far too many of them feel really, really, really inadequate to be parents, especially to be Christian parents. And so they've kind of been outsourcing their responsibilities. They're mostly concerned with the kids being doing well in sports and doing well in school and doing well socially. And so they're kind of looking around for the best coaches and the best teachers and the best play date supervisors and whatever to give their kids what is needed. But when it comes to them personally, providing their kids with character development, they really feel inadequate. And Barna goes so far as to say that maybe they feel inadequate because they don't feel like their own character is really worth sharing that much. Which is a harsh thing to say, but I know that those of us, you know, I mean, I'm a cat parent for crying out loud, and sometimes I feel inadequate to fix that. You know, I can imagine what it would be like to have another person that I'm trying to raise, and I'm supposed to be shaping their character. Not really sure how that could happen. I mean, in the old days, it was pretty much, you know, a cookie for good stuff and a spanking for bad stuff, and you just get out there and weed the cotton and get the job done. My mom seemed to think it was a lot simpler than I think it is. <laughs> But nowadays, you know, talking about God and talking about character is kind of not really cool anymore. It's sort of not done. There's an awkwardness around it. I really feel for parents. I don't know how that would go. But Barna says that fewer than 10% of parents today have invested in any kind of a spiritual plan in their mind for shaping their kids' characters. They're just kind of winging it as it happens. And no wonder that feels inadequate. It would be scary. And this is not necessarily about Bible textbook knowledge so much, because you can outsource that to Sunday school teachers, right? But it's it's about how to be a humble, transparent, daily living, faithful disciple. How do you explain that to kids and get them invested in it? and that's kind of where Psalm 78 which is our Psalm this morning starts off Psalm 78 is actually the second longest Psalm in the whole Bible after 119 remember that goes on for five pages remember that one Psalm 78 goes on for 72 verses it's a long one and the reason it's so long is because it basically is Cliff's notes for the entire Old Testament it's like here's what happened Starts off with, teach your kids what happened, and here's what happened, all the way from the beginning to David, which is where the Old Testament kind of ends. I'm going to read you the first 16 verses, just to get rolling here, and we're going to Kingfisher dip into the rest of it as we go along, but bear in mind that kind of where our, the point that we're going to be circling around is, teach this. Learn it, know it, teach it. So here we go this is this is Asaph not David it's it's one of his kingpin worship leaders who wrote some astonishing stuff too Asaph writes my people hear my teaching listen to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth with a parable I will utter hidden things things from of old things we have heard and known things our ancestors have told us We will not hide them from their descendants we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the lord his power and the wonders that he has done he decreed statutes for david for jacob he established the law in israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them even children yet to be born and they would in turn tell their children Then they would put their trust in God, and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. Then the psalm goes on to describe how the people grumbled against God even after he caused water to gush out. And God says, I fed them the food the angels eat. I opened heaven and rained down manna on them. And they complained. They got bored with it. They got tired of it. They wanted meat. So I sent them huge flocks of quail to eat. They said, we want meat. I said, here's meat. Eat it. Keep eating. Keep eating. Keep eating. I don't care if you're full. You're going to eat this, by golly. Until they got sick and some of them died. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning in spite of his wonders they did not believe so he ended their days in futility and their years in terror whenever god slew them then they would seek him they eagerly turned to him again they remembered that god was their rock that the most high was their redeemer but then they would flatter him with their mouths lying to them with his lying to him with their tongues their hearts were not loyal to him they were not faithful to his covenant yet he was merciful he forgave their iniquities he did not destroy them time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath he remembered that they were but flesh a passing breeze that does not return that was another quote from the middle of that psalm and it's the same story over and over the people lose faith The people go astray. The people worship idols. The people do this and do that and the other. And God is faithful. God is faithful. And God is faithful. And God is faithful. This psalm goes on to remember the wonders that God did when he freed the people from Egypt. How he brought plagues on Egypt and how he caused Egypt to give the people their riches and how he sent them out across the desert and destroyed the Egyptian army and cut the sea in half miracle miracles, not just good luck. And they would try to be faithful for a little while, and then they would slide away. They would turn around. They would make a calf. They would find some other gods to worship. They would complain. They would grumble. They would kick their toes in the sand. And so God would give the people into the hands of their enemies to punish them, to snap them out of it, And they would come to their senses, and they would turn back to God, and things would be okay for a while, and then they would slide away, and then God would punish them, and they'd snap out of it and come back to God, and then they would slide away on and on and on. The people wanted to be ruled by a king instead of being ruled by God. So God chose a lowly shepherd from the unimportant tribe of Judah to be their king, and David ruled them with skillful hands and integrity of heart. And, as you know, if you read the rest of the Bible, <laughs> David was a good king, not a perfect king. He screwed up a bunch of times and his kids screwed up after him and then the kings that came after them screwed up even worse and then the enemies would have to come and spank him and then they'd turn back to God and then they'd slide. I mean, on and on and on and on, the same deal. Why does Asaph want us to teach that to our kids? right that's kind of depressing right (laughs) because it's not Israel okay it's people Israel is just a snapshot of the human race we're just like them only more so Psalm 78 is about the necessity to teach the coming generation about the history of Israel the perversity and the rebellion of people and the power and mercy of God and it's really important that we're not just teaching the kids because that can be a very self-righteous sanctimonious I'm right you're wrong sit down shut up read your lessons it's teaching us we have to teach each other teach ourselves we don't like our vegetables any better than the kids do (laughs) we have to keep rehearsing this over and over because we forget we are chimps with clothes on we've got attention spans like gnats we have to keep going over it and keep going over it and keep going over it otherwise we forget and we go astray that's why God says I want you to tell them your kids when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and when you sit down to eat and when you're walking on the road when you're driving them to school and when you you know the, keep doing this tell each other about it write it down and wrap it in your bracelet here tattoo it on your forehead if you have to but keep it before you why teach why are we teaching this stuff because god is good that's the basic fact that we forget God is good our enemy wants us to forget that that was the first lie he told us and it's the one he keeps circling back to God's not that good God's trying to trick you yeah well God's going to go well no but God's no God is good we have to keep remembering that I mean think about it what who's a parent in here anybody what do you want for your kids? This is an open question. Somebody shout out an answer. What do you want for your children? The best. Yeah. the best. Amen, right? If God is our Heavenly Father, what does He want for us? The best. If He is the source and fountain of all goodness and we turn away from Him, what are we not going to have? Anything good. Anything <laughs> good god is the best so when we're trying to get us to turn back to him and cleave to him and stay with him and do it his way he's not being the giant bully in the sky he's trying to give us the wonders of the world he's trying to do his best heart to us if kids will receive the best that we're trying to teach them what happens to them if they put their hope and trust in God their hearts will be protected and they'll have peace and joy in their lives even in the midst of the trouble that they will surely also have at their root at their core in their heart of hearts they'll have peace and joy if we don't show them and tell them we're actually robbing them of that goodness We're not just failing to give it to them, we're taking it away from them. Why teach? Because they're God's children. They don't belong to us, they're our responsibility, but they belong to God and they're precious to Him. And when your parents were teaching you, the same thing was true of you. They're born into sin, they don't naturally know these things. What do kids naturally know how to do? Lie, Lie, cheat, steal, (laughs) disobey. That's what comes naturally to people. So we have to learn this stuff or we're gonna be lying, cheating, stinking, whatever's. Right? Each generation is to teach and to show so that the following generation can do better. And it's working. Each generation actually does manage to do a little better in some ways. Plus, lastly, why do we teach? Because losing faith and trust in God leads to disobedience, which leads to all kinds of terrible things. So, teach what? What are we supposed to teach? Just this depressing story? The psalm opens by saying that this is a dark riddle. And then it immediately says, but you already know all this stuff. Your parents told you, your grandparents told you, you know this stuff. It's not hidden, but it is a mystery. And what's mysterious about it? Do you ever read through the Bible and think, why? Why, 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 why do people do this? Why is God so faithful in the face of it? How can he stand it? That's the dark riddle, is the why. And we don't get an answer to that in this life, but we'll probably get one eventually. Why is God so patient? So, teach what? Teach what? God is great and God is good, that's the core of it. God is great, God is good. He is worthy of our adoration, our gratitude, our trust, His power and greatness are above all and throughout all. And God uses his limitless power to assist and help his children. That's an important what to teach. Amen? Amen. All right, all right. That's worth teaching. What does God require? Here's another good what to teach. What does God require? Yeah, Israel has the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is God alone. Him only shall you serve and love with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. That's the rock. That's the core. And when that when says, hear, O Israel, that verb, to hear doesn't mean to perceive a noise. It means to hear is to obey. To take it in and respond to it. That's what hear means. You think about all the times Jesus said, if you have ears, hear. Or what about the 10 Commandments? That's another way to look at what does God require. That, if you read through it's basically a bunch of commandments about how to love God with your whole heart and mind and soul and spirit, and how to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how it breaks down. That's a good what to teach and think about this when you read in deuteronomy the ten commandments it doesn't actually start with the commandments it starts with i am the lord your god which brought you out of the land of egypt and the house of bondage i am the lord who delivered you from slavery the ten commandments begin with the testimony of god's grace and power and love and what he's done for his people That's the only reason to obey him. Teach what? Teach what? Well, we gotta teach that people are rebellious and forgetful. It's depressing, but why would you wanna teach that to a child? Well, it's true, but is your child likely to rebel and misbehave? Do you want that to break their heart when they realize that they've gone astray from God? They need to not be so surprised that they screw up or that their best friend screwed up or, God help us, that their parents screwed up. People need to understand that people are rebellious and forgetful. Otherwise, our enemy is going to lie to us and say, therefore... You're doomed. Can't have that. Has anybody ever told you that? Has he ever told you You are a loser. You are never going to get there. God is so disappointed with you. Just forget it. Flush the toilet. Right? Can't have that. So we need to be teaching our kids that people are people. Human nature is human nature. God knows about it, and God is there in it. Here's another quote from the Psalm 78. In spite of this, they still sinned. They did not believe in his wondrous works, and therefore their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. When he slew them, they sought him. They returned and sought earnestly for God. and They remembered that God was their rock and the Most High was their Redeemer. Is this sounding familiar? Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue, for their hearts were not steadfast nor were they faithful to His covenant. We don't believe in our heart of hearts and our bone of bones that God is good because our enemy keeps lying to us. And every time we screw up, our enemy says, see, proved it again, even though our screw-ups have nothing to do at all with God being good. How do we rebel nowadays? I mean, we don't worship Baal, right? Right? Okay. But we do worship false gods. We do go in for nationalism or materialism. And that's not just, give me all the stuff. Materialism technically means there is no meaning, there's no purpose. What you see is all there is. It's just matter, and that's it. That's materialism. Sometimes we go in for that. Or humanism. People don't need God. Humans are perfect. Let them rip. Those are all false gods that we are inclined to worship from time to time. We live in unbelieving fear. Anybody here besides me ever grumbled and complained about things? Like one time I was in college and my old beater car was acting up and i was standing in the parking lot kicking the tires and screaming and throwing the i don't know what i had in my hand and stomping around i mean screaming like one of those people that you you know oh dear (laughs) we grumble and we complain we live in unbelieving fear and we return to our evil practices does anyone here have a fatal flaw that they really, really struggle with letting go of it and turning their back on it and repenting for good? Yeah. We tend to, as the Bible says, we're like dogs. We go back to our own vomit and have it again. <laughs> but, you know, we do. What else can we teach? Well, another grim fact that's actually very, very, very encouraging is that God punishes the rebellious to bring them to repentance. God does not punish out of vengeance. He punishes to bring us back to goodness. So we will turn away from evil and turn around and come back. My mom was built like a baby bird. I mean, she was, there was hardly anything to her. But she did not believe in wait till your father gets home. She would reach down to Fanny Paddle and have at it right, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't care how small she was or how big we got, she could catch us. You know, and when I was digging in the yard with her silver dessert spoon because I wanted to make something, I didn't bother to look for the trowel. She tore it, she would slap the spots off of you, man. <laughs> not because she valued her silver dessert spoon more than she valued her daughter, but because I knew that I should not do that. I knew that I was stealing her spoon, and if she caught me with it, I would be in trouble. But I did it anyway because I wanted to dig a thing for my things. All right? I mean, think about why we do the dumb stuff we do. Is it for a good reason? No, it just, I wanted to do that, you know? But God is merciful. He will spank the spots off of us if that's what it takes to get us to turn from evil and repent. I love that line where it says that God punishes with futility. Seems like about every decade or so in my life I wind up on my 30th, 40th, 50th, 60th, however many birthdays, lying in bed at 3 in the morning and kind of reviewing how things are going. And I can remember my 40th birthday, waking up at 3 in the morning and thinking, you know, things are not going well. Had a fabulous situation. My life was perfect, but I was wasting it, and I knew I was wasting it. And I wound up crying out in prayer, Lord, don't let me waste my life. I mean, I'm just spending my whole life amusing myself. I'm able to do that, so that's what I'm doing. I don't want to wind up on my deathbed having amused myself for 110 years. Here's a quote from Shakespeare from Macbeth. Y'all know this one life is but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour on the stage and then is heard no more it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing that's not what you want is it a life of futility can be a punishment from god hopefully so that we will lie awake at three in the morning and say oh god this sucks. Give me my life back, Lord. I repent. Does that make sense? Okay. What else can we teach? Here's a fun one. God is always eager to forgive the penitent. How long does it take between the time you decide to turn around and go back to God and the time God meets you? that 12 nanoseconds or only three. (laughs) I forget. There's an interplay between human unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness. And it's always God's faithfulness that wins. Here's another quote from Psalm 78. He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh. They're just chimps with clothes on and souls. They're a breath that passes and doesn't return again. God is merciful because he knows how hard it is to be a people. He was a people too. Did you know that God is still a human being? Jesus is still human. It's mind-boggling. God gets it. Here's another quote. This is from Exodus. This is when Moses is, has begged God, you know, I just want to see you, Lord. Can I just see you? The problem with that is that seeing God is like you want to see the eclipse. But if you look at the sun, you'll go blind. God is so good that if we actually see his face, we, we can't take it. Our heads will explode. I mean, Then, God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. You you sit here in this crack in the rocks, and I'm going to pass in front of you, but I'm going to cover your face until I'm passed, and then you can see my backside as I'm going away. And that'll be good enough for you. You'll get what you need. The Lord passed in front of Moses and called out, The Lord, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations forgiving iniquity transgression and sin yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished he will visit it, the iniquity of the fathers on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation that's also love did you notice that the punishment lasts for three or four generations you remember we were talking about baggage handed down from your great-grandparents that still kind of puts a twist on things for you as a kid but how long does the blessing last thousands of generations that's love you live a good faithful life close with god and that's going to bless your descendants for thousands of generations What else can we teach? I'm sure you can think of lots of good stuff. Here's a different question, though. How do we teach? Do we park them in in the side room with flannel graphs and goldfish? (laughs) I mean, I liked the flannel graphs and the goldfish when I was a tot, and I did learn some stuff. But how do we really teach? What have your kids learned from you, and how did they learn it? Because they're watching you, all right? At the grocery store, they're watching. At home, as you're talking to each other, they're paying attention. They're not just playing Minecraft. They're paying attention. In the bleachers at the game, they know what's going on. While you're watching the news, they're listening to your response. When you're sitting in a traffic jam with them in the back seat, they're paying attention. They're not just on their phone. How do you respond to their needs? They notice. How do you respond to the brokenness of other people? They care. And brothers and sisters, we're watching each other with the same childlike hearts that your kids watch you with. I notice how you treat the waiter. I care how you deal with broken people. It affects me how you walk your faith. So we have to lead and teach by example, not just by telling. I was too late to put it in i wanted to change the title of this sermon to show and tell but i waited too long but that's that's it we have to show and we have to tell how else we tell the stories what stories well we tell the bible stories we tell all the depressing news from the old testament and god is great god is good people are not so much but god is still great and god is good and people have issues and god is great and you know we tell that We tell the new testament stories god is way greater than you thought and people are still not so much and god is way bigger than you thought but that's not the only stories we've got other stories one time i was driving back from oracle and i just barely somebody was passing on a blind curve and i i don't know what happened but the wheel just went this way and it wasn't me and god pulled me off the road tell the stories I was in World War II and I was scared to patooties and, and God did this in my heart. Tell the stories. I'm facing cancer and God is doing this in my heart. Tell the stories. Tell them all. How else can we teach? Well, how about show the discipline? Not just grace at mealtimes and bedtime. I mean, how much does that change your heart? A little, maybe? It's not a bad thing. What about family devotion time? That's kind of gone out of fashion, but those few families that still practice let's get together and tell Bible stories and pray with each other benefit from that. Or how about the discipline of getting with God regularly and letting your kids see you get with God regularly? sorry, I can't talk right now, I'm talking with God. Hold on a minute. Or the discipline of getting to church. Yeah, I know we all have headaches and I know we're mad and I know that breakfast was burned. We're going to church anyway. Because we need to think about God. Making sense? Okay. How else can we teach? Show the intimacy. This is a much more difficult one, but it's the big guns. And think about this, as I'm talking about this, think about the way that we teach each other this way. To know is to be intimate with. Think about Job and his friends. When his friends first got to Job, they were intimate with him. They sat down and they wept with him. And they didn't try to fix anything, they just got where he was. They were intimate with him. Then they kind of got off track and they had this long argument for chapter and chapter and chapter. But there was a difference. Job's friends were intimate with God just in their head, just with theology. Job was married to God and threw dishes at him when things were stupid. Job was intimate with God. Job was not afraid to say, this is not right. You are crazy. You've got to explain this or my heart is going to break. Yada, 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 like you do when you want somebody to really know what's going on with you. And you care whether they show up or not. And that's why God showed up and said, Job gets me. You guys need to get where Job is. Well, okay, that's a great Bible story, but how does that apply to us? Think about praying with your kids. I hope you do. I can remember three times that my mom prayed with me, and they both were formative times. I wish there had been dozens of those times. Mostly I just got to know that she prayed all the time. My dad was too scared of being intimate to pray at all with us. I have no idea what his spiritual life was even like because he never would say. But when you pray with your kids, and if you haven't tried it, try it. Pray with them about their concerns. And invite them to pray with you about your concerns. I mean, age appropriately. You don't want to burden a five-year-old with mommy has no money and doesn't know if we're going to feed. You know, I mean, (laughs) but let them pray for you and your concerns. They will learn a ton about God's faithfulness that way. You can be vulnerable with God in front of the kids. You can actually let them hear you pray, oh God, I don't know what to do. That's a scary prayer for a kid to overhear, but the fact that you brought it to God and God calmed your heart down and gave you some plans, that will teach them stuff. Right? Okay. Talk to the kids about the struggles that you have and how God walks you through them. It's just like teaching them to drive a car or cook spaghetti. Here's here's how I prayed with God and here's how He responded and here's what we're going to do because of that. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, how else? Show the repentance. Have you ever let somebody else your child or your grown child or your neighbor or your church mate see you repent? Has anyone actually seen your heart break and you say, oh God, I'm sorry, I need to turn around and go the other way? Because it'll change your life. It'll change the way you repent. It helps to nail down the fact that God is forgiving and generous and life-giving, and if we turn around and face him, it's way better than turning our backs on him. How else can we show each, show and tell each other our life with God? Show the obedience. I'm doing this because God says I should. Right? Or God's commands lead to life, so even though it's hard, we're going to do things this way. That's part of why we're going to church this morning, even though we don't want to, because God leads to life. So we're gonna do it his way. How else can we teach? Show the faithfulness. Remember that verse from the Psalm that we read, that Ephraim, even though he was well-armed, I say he, it was the whole tribe of Ephraim, even though they were well-armed and had been called by God to do a battle, they wouldn't do it, they ran away instead. Some of us turn back before the battle begins. God calls us to a particular battle and we don't want to fight it and we turn back. Or we turn back as soon as the fighting starts. Get a little blood on the end of my nose and I quit. Or I turn back when the battle becomes long. And I am so done with this. I'm just done. I'm not going to carry on. Okay? So we need to show the faithfulness. God, I am so done and I'm going to carry on. I need you to pour strength into me. Let the kids hear you. Okay? So that's how we tell each other. I just want to go through a couple of Bible verses that talk about us showing and telling each other. Not just the kids, but each other. Because that's our job. We all come before the Lord as little children. That's how we enter the kingdom of heaven. Our hearts are small. We need to take tender care of each other and raise each other up to believe that God is great and God is good and people are fallible and God is great and God is good. Okay? Here's Ephesians 5. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Colossians, teach one another. In 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another. In Hebrews, exhort one another. In Hebrews again, stir one another up to love and good deeds. In 1 Peter, use the gifts that God gave you for the benefit of one another, amen? Okay, use Deuteronomy again. Listen, O people, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your might. Commit yourself wholeheartedly to his commands. Repeat them again and again to your children talk about them with each other when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you get up write them down put them on the doorposts of your house and on your gateposts, because God is good people are frail and fickle and treacherous and forgetful and God is good and people are unspeakably precious to God and God is good. We must teach each other, young and old, family and stranger, that God is good. Amen? Amen. Father, please unbind our tongues. Give us honesty and boldness and openness with each other. Give us eyes to see the opportunity when you bring someone before us who needs to know what you've given us and why it's precious. Give us the grace to learn from one another. Amen.